Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 7:25 to 40. Now about virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no, no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. Thanks so much for reading that. Thank you, Nathan. And a very, very good afternoon. If we haven't met, my name's Jeremy. And it's brilliant to see you here this afternoon at Trinity. A very warm welcome from me. We're starting a new series today, and we've got important things to think about as we approach the whole topic of singleness. But God hasn't left us without help, so we're going to pray as we begin. Let's pray together. Father God, we've already remember that you are our rock, you're our redeeming king, and that your truth alone can bring true and genuine comfort. So I, I pray, Father, that we would listen to what you're saying in the Bible. Please speak to us. Help us to find the comfort that we need this afternoon. Now, you don't only tell us what to do, but you give us the ability to obey. And I pray, Father, your spirit will be fully at work. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, every generation has its social media platform of choice. And uh, being a middle-aged man, of course, uh, my generation uses Facebook. And uh, if you sign up for a new account, then immediately it starts asking you 
tricky questions about your relationship status. Are you single? Are you in a relationship? Are you engaged? Are you married? You're in a civil partnership, in a domestic partnership, in an open relationship, separated, divorced, or widowed? Or then, of course, the option that all of us, I guess, at some stage in our lives have wanted to take, which is, it's complicated. Eleven different kinds of status, according to Facebook. So why, you might ask, why are we going to spend three weeks thinking about just one of those, which is singleness? Well, partly, I think, because singleness in the church and in the world is seen as a, as, as a more negative thing. It seems quite a negative thing. I mean, people talk about being single as unmarried, but they don't talk about being married as being unsingle. It's a sort of negative thing that you haven't got, okay? And then in conversation, uh, people often ask you about your family, uh, whether you're married, uh, whether, you've, whether you've got children, and there's lots of conversation that sort of follows on from that, uh, generally. Uh, but if you're single, then you tend to reach a dead end slightly quicker. And, and if, you're, if you're a Christian and you take what the Bible teaches seriously, then being single means a life without sex. So it means a life of celibacy. And you don't need to have seen the 40-year-old virgin to know that, that that seems like one of the biggest negatives imaginable to live your life without sex. You're barely human in lots of people's thinking. Uh, but as well as that, singleness is, is, is the one status on that list which I think affects all of us at some stage of our lives or other. Uh, all of us are single at one point, I take it. And all of us may well be single one day. So uh, my dad um, was single for 20 years towards the end of his life when my mum had died, 20 years. But more importantly, each one of us is part of a church where we all belong to one another. Yeah, married people, um, like me, people who are single for a whole variety of reasons, single parents, divorced, widows, people who are same-sex attracted, people who are willingly single, and people who are unwillingly single. We're all in the same church together, and that means that what happens to one of us happens to all of us. Yeah, what, what affects one of us affects the whole group. And, and, and you can't help noticing that the part of the Bible that Fiona just read out to us uh, was written to the whole church. It was meant to be read to the whole church. Paul's assuming that everyone is listening in, whatever family background or whatever status they find themselves experiencing. And besides, we see that, that what the Bible teaches about singleness, and we're going to see this today and over the next couple of weeks, just bleeds into so many other ideas in the Bible. And next week, we're going to go from the beginning of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, to almost the last chapter of the Bible. All kinds of ideas about identity and friendship and church family and intimacy and sexuality and future focus and satisfaction and commitment. They all connect with this idea of singleness. And so to look at this idea can't fail to do us a great deal of good, I think. And just to say as I begin, I'm unashamedly going to borrow material from this book, which I can't recommend highly enough. It's called Seven Myths About Singleness. We're going to be selling this in a couple of weeks' time uh, if you want to pick up a copy. I've loved talking to some of my Christian friends as well about their experiences, and I'll be quoting from both those sources as we go along.
Well, let's come back to 1 Corinthians 7. It's one of the parts of the Bible that talks most obviously to single people. And the key point, the key point comes down in verse 38. Okay, so if you've got the service sheet in front of you, it's got verses 25 to 40 on it. Have a look down at verse 38. This is what it says. Key point. So then he who marries the virgin does right. This spoken to, to guys. But he who does not marry her does better. Let me paraphrase it like this. Marriage is right, but singleness is better. Okay, that's what, that's what Paul's saying. Now, you wouldn't read that off our culture, would you? Um, where marriages are celebrated with a massive diamond ring and champagne and a big cake and adoring speeches where parents tell their children how much they love them and children say the same thing. And everyone wishes them the best for the future and spends tens of thousands of pounds. But there's no, um, there's no singleness celebration as its equivalent, is there? You wouldn't read that off our culture and you wouldn't read that off our church culture either. But you do read that in the Bible. And we're going to be looking at, at, at 1 Corinthians 7 under four headings before thinking what it means for all of us as a church. The first heading is this. You'll see it come up on the screen. Please consider remaining as you are. Please consider remaining as you are. That comes from verses 25 to 28. That's what Paul's saying in verse 26. Have a look down at that. See, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Okay, in other words, please give serious consideration to staying where you are. If you're married or, or if you're single, the, the secret to a great Christian life is, is not always looking over your shoulder. And in fact, Paul's made exactly the same point earlier on in the chapter several times, if, if, if you have the chance to read 1 Corinthians 7 a little bit later on. So, verse 5, you'll see that come up on the screen. Verse 5. Can you see that? Married couple says, stay as you are. So this is what it says, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time. In other words, keep married and stay having sex. That's the, that's the command. It's very easy later on in life to, uh, to let your um, sex life um, stop in a marriage. That's quite a common thing. Paul says, don't do that. Verse 8, single people, stay as you are. Verse 8, now to the unmarried and to the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. The Apostle Paul is, isn't married. Because, verse 7, singleness is a gift and marriage is a gift. Now, that, that's not saying that you are born with uh, one of two kinds of incredible superpower. Okay, it's not saying that you're either born with a superpower that enables you to stay happily single for the whole of your life, or you're born with a superpower that enables you to become happily married for the whole of your life. If you're unwillingly single, and that might include some people here today, then you'll know that that's not true. What it's saying is that singleness is a gift and marriage is a gift in that it's, it's what's given to us in our current situation. Everything good about marriage or everything good about singleness 
is ours right now. It's given to us. So says Paul, consider staying as you are. Unless, verse 9, you can't control yourself, it says, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, those last two words, with passion, don't occur in the original. It is better to marry than to burn. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me say the whole books and several PhDs have been written about this, so I, I won't be able to cover everything, but my best guess is something like this. That if a couple can't control themselves, to use Paul's words, and end up in a sexual relationship anyway, then far better to stop sleeping together for a while and then get married than to face God's judgment. Yeah, that's how burn is often used in the, in the New Testament. And, and we can arrange a, a wedding service for you at Trinity very quickly and at very little cost. Okay, you don't need a wedding dress. You can have a picnic outside on the lawn. Okay? That's the principle. Come forward then to verse 25. And, and you can see how this starts to play out in the whole area of, um, of singleness. Um, stay as you are, says Paul. Um, verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? If you're a guy and you're pledged to a woman, do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. And that means that if, if you started going out with someone since last week, or if you're just about to announce your engagement, don't worry, we can really celebrate with you, okay? That is still an absolutely fantastic thing. And we can praise God. But if, if you're single at the moment, then this is the command to the church to encourage you to consider staying single for the rest of your life. You're not under any obligation, but at least to consider consider encouraging you to think about it. In other words, we are not to constantly ask you when you're going to settle down and have kids. Okay? We're not to suggest marriage partners to you unless that's something that you've asked us to do. And, and we're not to treat singleness as a problem that needs fixing, maybe some sort of character flaw that we need to put right. So someone said, yeah, first of all, you need fixing, then you need fixing up. That's, that is not, that's not the way we're going to treat you, as if the marriage and baby club is one that everyone's waiting to join, if only they could. No, we're to say with Paul that marriage is right but that singleness is better. And that's for two reasons that Paul introduces in the first paragraph and then goes on to explain in the second and third paragraphs. Here's reason number one. Why, do you, why might you want to seriously consider staying single if you're a single person? Reason number one, because the time is short. Verses 29 to 31, the time is short. So Paul talked before about the present crisis in verse 26, and then he goes, to, goes on to explain what he means by that in verses 29 to 31. And, and he, um, he sums it up at the end of verse 31. Have a look at that. This is what it says. For this world in its present form is passing away. This world is passing away. All of us would do well to think about that more than we do. You know, the company that we work for, uh, that 
holiday island that we dream of visiting one day, that house on Upper Street that we so admire, that um, design shop just dripping with effortless style. It is all passing away, all of it. There will be a time, maybe very soon, there'll be a time when it all turns to rubble and dust. And that's going to affect everything that we do, particularly in a materialistic society like ours. See the five effects in, in verses 30 and 31? You see how Paul lists those? It affects the way we mourn, the way we find pleasure, the things we buy and the things we use. Oh, and the way that we're married. And it is very striking, isn't it? It makes a big impression if you meet someone in central London in, 21st, in the 21st century whose status and security in Jesus is so certain that they need very little stuff. Very little stuff. They hold very lightly to the things they use and the experiences they dream of. That's a wonderful thing when you find it. The world has a sell-by date, and we don't know what it is, but we suspect that it could be very soon. And because the world has a sell-by date, that affects marriage in this world, according to Jesus. So in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, have a look later on, Jesus says that there is no marriage in heaven. So sex and marriage cannot be the ultimate experience. Can't be. When... When this world passes away, at the very least, your earthly marriage will end and your proper marriage to, to Jesus Christ will begin. We'll think about that a little bit more next week. And, and, and you can be a virgin all of your life and you won't miss out on that ultimate experience. And, and the world just doesn't have a category for that kind of person. So it is a very powerful witness to live like that. You know, we're living in the last days. That's what the Bible calls that period of time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. We're living in the last days, and we know that it's just going to be hard. Okay, the Bible warns us about that. But Christians show by their lifestyles they haven't settled down too much. Okay, they, they know that this isn't their ultimate home. And so they don't always need to spend time on a, on a, on a sexual relationship because they're citizens of somewhere else, and they know that they'll be there one day. That's the first reason, the time is short. Second reason, because marrieds have divided concerns. Divided concerns. Have a look down at verses 32 to 35. 32 to 35. Have a look down at those. This is what Paul says. I would like you to be free from concern. You see Paul's love here, his pastoral heart. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And then he goes on to say the same things for the women, slightly counterculturally in the first century, to address men and women absolutely equally. Verse 35, he sums up, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion.
And the distinction is not between a, a, a troubled life and a trouble-free life, far from it. The distinction is, being, is between complexity and simplicity. So for, for married people, Paul's saying that for a husband or wife, the focus is going to be partly on the things of this world. Now that's the way that it should be. Paul says that in, in, in other parts of the Bible. It's not that you have more trouble as a whole, necessarily. It's that you're pulled in more directions at the same time. And that introduces complexity to your life. So when, when you want to stay at work and your wife wants you to come home, that introduces complexity. Uh, when you're offered a, a job in another country, which would be great for your career, but your wife has to stay in this country, life gets more complicated. And that's well before, uh, should the Lord give you kids, as uh, a couple, you start to try and take three, you know, under two-year-olds to Australia or something like that. That becomes extremely complex. No wonder that when Jesus talks about marriage in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, the disciples conclude that it's better just to give it a miss. Um, maybe it's better not to marry, they say. And Jesus, who, who, who chooses to be single, implicitly agrees. Married life is complex. And that means that there are some ways in which single people can enjoy the simplicity of the single life. And, and Paul lists some of these things in verses 32 to 35. Here's the list according to Paul. You can be free from concern. Verse 32, concerned about the Lord's affairs. Verse 32, concerned with pleasing the Lord. Verse 32, having undivided interests. Verse 34, you can be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. It's good for you. Verse 35, you can have undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 35. Now, one single person puts it like this. They say, we are pulled in fewer directions than those who are married and therefore free to give more time to the Lord's affairs. Another single person lists some of the benefits that he's discovered. Uh, he says you can react to situations more quickly, say if, say if a friend's in trouble. You can stay away from home for extended periods of time if you want to. You can take on a different job more easily. Now, the struggle for him, he says, is, is not to use that simplicity to serve himself. Uh, sometimes he gets used to doing what he wants, how he wants, and when he wants. Uh, as, he, as he puts it, when I could be anxious about the things of the Lord, I end up anxious about the things of me. You can see that as a danger, can't you? But an unmarried man or woman, says Paul, can be concerned about the things of the Lord and we should praise God every single one of us here at Trinity should praise God for the way that single people devote themselves to serving at Trinity in all kinds of ways Bible study uh, um, leaders small group leaders teaching the Bible doing the hard work behind the scenes we should honor those people many of us have been taught the Bible many of us have looked up to single men and women who have devoted themselves to teaching us and discipling us along the way. Praise God for that. Married people, let's, let's not always assume that the single people will do the babysitting, um, but praise God when they do, yeah? Because they're serving us. All of which can be a great help 
in understanding the relationship between married and single people in the church. We'll carry on thinking about that. That's the principle. Marriage is good. Singleness is better. But what about the future? How, how do I decide whether to get married or to stay single if that choice presents itself to me? What then? This is our, single, uh, this is our final point, just as we, um, just as we finish. Uh, Paul says, it's a wisdom thing. Okay, it's a wisdom thing. I don't know if you felt sort of constrained by this chapter. You felt forced into one particular decision. If so, then I've misrepresented it. Verse 35. Paul says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. That means literally put a noose around your neck. He says, I'm not to do that. I don't want to do that. You are free to get married. We can celebrate marriage but do consider singleness. It's, it's like a lot of biblical wisdom. <laughs> it's like someone taking you on a very difficult job. Uh, maybe someone's been offered a, a huge promotion and they don't know whether to take it on or not. On, on the one hand, it means they're not going to be nearly as available to their, to their family if they're married, not nearly as available to their church. Maybe they'll have to travel abroad for certain amounts of time. They won't be able to serve quite so regularly, but they will be earning a bit more money and, uh, and they might be able to give that to the church and it means they can stay in London, whatever it is. You know, it's, it's a wisdom decision. They, a, a friend of mine loves saying uh, that the only careers advice in the Bible really comes in, in Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Okay, that's, that's not a valid career option. But apart from that, the Bible wants us to make wise decisions. And similarly, the, the Bible gives some clear guidelines, some clear limits. So um, it says if, if you're sleeping with someone and you're not married, stop sleeping together and get married. And it says if, if you're not sleeping with the person you're married to, start sleeping with them and keep going. But if, if we ask the question, do I get married or don't I get married, then we're in wisdom territory. We're not constrained either way. No one's putting a noose around our necks. We can celebrate singleness and we can celebrate marriage. <clears throat> but single people, engaged people in 36 to 38, and even widows who've been married maybe for the whole of their lives and then find themselves um, single again are to consider singleness for the rest of their lives. That's what it says. Right at the end, the last couple of verses, a, a widow is free to marry again if, and the Bible says this consistently, uh, if she finds a Christian to marry, he must belong to the Lord. Christians marry Christians in Bible thinking for a whole host of reasons. Well, I know there are all kinds of questions we haven't answered, and we'll come back to those over, <clears throat> over the next couple of weeks. I mean, this part of the Bible mentions strong passions, strong sort of sexual feelings. Um, apart from that, are there other reasons to get married? We would like to think so, wouldn't we? Um, another question, if I'm single, how do I relate to other single people in the church? Or how do married and single people relate together within the church? And then the big one, what about christianconnections.com? That's, I, that I think is, you know, is one of these big questions we need to answer. We're going to come back to some of those questions next week as we look at Genesis 1 
about the, about the purpose of marriage and singleness, what we're created for. And then the following week, as we look at Mark chapter 10, and we think about Christian family and what it is and where we might have fallen short of that in the way that we don't necessarily always look after each other well. And we're going to have a discussion time out in the park as well. Um, uh, if you're here in church, then uh, there'll be a chance to go out to the park. We've got some refreshments there. And uh, if you want to sort of gather around, if you've got questions for me, just, just um, come and ask them. Or if you'd rather email them to me, then my email's on the back of the service sheet. Do take advantage of that. In the meantime, though, if you look on the back of the service sheet, you'll find a box. It's on the back of the service sheet. Uh, you see a picture of it coming up on the screen. It's something to take away, something to take away with you from today's service. And, I, and we're going to try and put this on the back of the service sheet every week. Maybe one thing that you want to remember. Uh, maybe it's to stop thinking about singleness as second best, as a sort of mild disappointment, as a sign that someone's got um, character flaws or, you know, something unfortunate that happens to the unlucky few. We need to stop thinking about all those things. That's not a biblical way to think. Maybe we need to start teaching one another and, and encouraging one another to, to genuinely believe that marriage is good but that singleness is better. I mean, are we courageous enough to teach that to our children and to our godchildren, to our nephews and nieces? Are we brave enough to do that? To take them to one side and say, if you never get to walk down the aisle and you never give your grandparents, uh, give your parents grandchildren, but you serve the Lord wholeheartedly, that's okay. That's wonderful. And we'll be immensely proud of you. And let's honor those single people, encourage them on towards single-minded devotion to the Lord. Are we going to sing a song in a second? And then Kirsten's going to come and bring a few more reflections. That's after we've sung a song. But first we're going to pray. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. He who marries does right, but he who does not marry does better. Father God, thank you that your word is so intensely countercultural. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ was single. Thank you, Father, the Bible is so realistic that that time between the resurrection and Jesus' return will be difficult for all of us. There'll be struggles. We don't want to settle down too much. And so I pray, Father, we'd be the kind of church where single people encourage married people and married people encourage single people. I pray, Father, in our conversation, we wouldn't make assumptions about people in a really unhelpful way. I ask, Father, we'd all be encouraging one another to be devoted to the Lord. And for some, if that means singleness, then we would honor and support them. We ask these things in your name. Amen.